Hi everyone, and welcome to Focus Football, a podcast which explores the career journeys, recounts the experiences of football and sports industry professionals, and provides insights to those wishing to enter the wonderful world of football and sports by hearing from those that have come before them. We're joined this week by a young man who's never shied away from wanting football to take center stage in his life. From being a young professional footballer to a scout and now an entrepreneur within the game. Those experiences combined have led him to where he is today as one of the co-founders of Eyeball, the very first scouting platform for elite youth football that is revolutionizing the scouting ecosystem at the youth level. Benjamin, a very warm welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be here and uh, I'm looking forward to this. It's great to have you, Benjamin, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your insights. Obviously, it's been a bit of time since we spoke. Tell us, how are you and uh, where, whereabouts are you currently? I'm very well, thanks. I'm very well. Just came home from uh, a long week business trip. So I'm staying home now in south of France, Monaco, where, I, where I'm based. And yeah, just uh, working okay. as always. It's a great, it's a great place to be, I'm sure, the south of France. <laughs> It is. It is not bad. Not bad at all. I. That's actually where I'm from, and I, I. I've tried moving a couple of places, but somehow, the quality of of life, the weather, and everything just just fit, fits with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does, Benjamin. I have no doubt in my mind it would fit with most people, and great place to be. So before really kicking off today's conversation, I, I just thought it'd be great perhaps to run our audience through just exactly how we met. It was a chance meeting. Definitely an awkward moment for me. And more importantly, I think it was just a great demonstration of just how good and powerful a conversation can be. So it'd be good, I think, if you could tell the story and really indulge your audience in um, <laughs> just just how we cross paths. No, I, I remember it was uh, it was in Sevilla at the World Football Summit, and obviously Eyeball had a stand over there. It, it was the closing hours, if I remember well, and uh, I went for a break outside, and I, I came back, and you were sitting there in in a conference call and I was like, you know, I didn't say a word because I, I could see you <laughs> on a conference call and you were very, very uncomfortable. And, and I was like, yeah, just crack on. I don't mind at all. If I were you, I would have done the same. And uh, obviously you appreciated it. And we just started taking it from there and uh, clicked very well, I believe. But uh, yeah, that's funny. Nice. So just, just to kind of like jump into things and jump into the conversation, something we normally do and ask all our guests it's the first question to kick things off is what does football mean to you benjamin it's a good question football is is my life i'm sure you heard this before but it really it really is i don't come from a football background at all i kind of just fell into it i can't really explain how and why but it's, it's just something you know a lot of my friends tell me I, I can't really speak about anything else and i've heard this since i was a, a very young kid it's just I breathe football, I eat football, I sleep football, I think football, I work football. I've, I've always done it. it. It's everything to me. The, the culture is, is embedded in me. And uh, it's just, I, I, I never get tired of it. I never get tired of it. And I like watching football. I like speaking about football. I like an, analyzing football, hearing different opinions about it. I like the football industry, obviously in it now. Both feet in it now. So yeah, football is my life. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people have told us that football is their lives. And for so many mm. different reasons. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the same page. And so is Ferris. Hence why we're coming into this industry with you. 
we just wanted to ask you a quick question again. Just so tell us a bit more about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, and quickly your education, just so we can kick things off and uh, get going on your career. Yep. So I'm I'm Danish. I don't look Danish, but I'm Danish. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, no, a lot of people don't believe me when I say that, but yeah, I have Danish parents, and I was I was born and raised in Monaco, surrounding areas, uh, so south of France. So yeah, Danish culture. Spoke Danish at home. It's my mother tongue, but also yeah, grew up in France. You know, French friends, uh, French school, French everything in France. And uh, yeah, grew up with this double culture, which I think everybody that has a, a double culture is more likely to be open-minded to different cultures and different people. And I grew up in a very multicultural environment, uh, always different languages. My friends are from everywhere around the world. So I really grew up with an, an open mind on that and um, quickly fell into football when I was very, very young and played until I was 17. And from there, football didn't work out. So I started to, uh, I, I'd moved to Copenhagen. So that was the first time I moved away from home when I was 18, back home to Denmark. So we had a, I had a very, very big family in Denmark. We're talking like over maybe 90 people, a lot of cousins and uncles and aunts. And it was the the yearly holiday we had was, was in Denmark every summer. And uh, I've always wanted to, uh, my actual dream was to play football there, live in Denmark with playing football. That didn't work out. So I, I moved I moved there to study, really. So it was a good university in Copenhagen. And uh, I lived there for four or five years. Yeah, university, met a lot of, incredible people and then a couple of years ago decided to move back to monaco when i started eyeball so that's um that's my background taking a step back benjamin like where did that kind of love and passion for the game really come from because you sort of mentioned they're not coming from really a football family right and then growing up in a multicultural sort of environment was that what sort of you know brought it to life for you or what was it really i think so um like I said, you know, it's not like my, my dad was not an ex-player. My my mother was not is not really into football. None of my family really is, was into football and still is, really. It's just the first sport I played. I think when I was a kid, my mom just took me to, to football and just to get some energy out of me. And I really fell in love with it. And all all the friends I had came from football. And so it was all it was with my friends really that it, it started. That's really where it come from, really. Um, I know a lot of you hear a lot of people saying, "Yeah, I was playing with my dad and all of that." But my dad doesn't really necessarily like football. I mean, he's he watches a game once in a while, but that's that's it. So it really, it really came from me. But I can guarantee you, will keep on going with when I get children. <laughs> I'll transmit it. I think you have to, right? It's it's got to be transmitted down, passed on. It's that love for the game and the passion. But it's it's great, isn't it? Because it brings yeah. people together and. It never dies out, I feel. But, to, you know, take us through that journey then of, of you know, when you started. So obviously you played football at a youth level. You know, how did how did that then carry you forward into playing at a high standard? Um, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah. you and I have spoken about it, but you obviously played for Monaco. Take us through how, mm-hmm. how all that started for you. So it's not like Monaco scouted me because that was my first club, actually. So like in the really young age groups, you could just go up and, and sign up and then yeah, they have like open days and if you're good enough they, they keep you they, they they kind of keep keep the good players so that was when I was like four or five years old really really young 
and it was just training every week, you know, playing football at school, playing football after school, coming to training an hour before to, to play, staying after to to keep playing with with my friends. So it's just playing all the time, really. Uh, having a little foam tennis ball at home and just not making my mom and uh, you know that that kind of so it's just really always a, a ball a ball at my feet. That's that's really that's the only toy I needed really. And then it's just it just carried on. And as I grew up, I was never ever the best player. Like I was a country mile away from from the best players. And even when I was you know twelve thirteen, I was not even in the best team in each age group uh maybe not even starting games and so on and for some reason there was there was this year and uh under 14s and then kicked on to under under 15s where i just i just started started understanding the game a bit better so i was i was i was a midfielder and it just started clicking for me and uh and the year when we transitioned from under 14 to under 15 that's where it really got serious for me and we had this great team this great coach and that's that's really where I realized, okay, now it's now it's getting serious. You know, you're playing these, you know, away games. You have a trip. You you stay the night before. You you know, travel in the club bus. It's starting to become serious, and you know, a lot of people come to watch you, and you start playing in you know in these. I wouldn't call them stadiums because they're not really stadiums. You 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 football. There's there's a lot of people on the sideline, and you know, you start feeling a bit of pressure, which is good pressure, and that's that's really when it starts it started becoming serious and the memories I have from that are, are just unbelievable still today. It's almost 10 years ago. I, I, there's, you know, some games I remember every, every, almost every second. So that, that was really when it started to become very serious. And then obviously at that age, 15, 16, that's where as well, you know, the club is starting to get players from outside the area. So they start getting players from the Paris area, really strengthening the club. Cause now, you know, the goal starts being you need to you you're closer to a being a senior player than a, than a youth player and um and at that moment the year when we transitioned so that year in under 15s is the best football i've ever had in my life we just had some unbelievable players we just i don't think we lost one game and then that year when it transitioned to under 17s where you're like okay now it's you know if you're good there it's you could really you could really pretend to some serious things. That's where I had a, I had the worst, still today, the worst moment of my life where I twisted my knee and that's where I started going back down for me. So, um, like I said, I was never the talented kid that every every parent and every coach was speaking about, but I was always, especially later, I was always in and around and when I twisted that, that knee. So that was, that was a friendly game. Funny enough, in the summer, a preseason game in the summer, and it was the first friendly game, and just a really bad tackle. And I did. I remember, you know, when it happened, I was in a really good shape. I come, I come from probably one of the best preseasons you could have, and I was really in my mind. It was, it was never a doubt when I was a kid that I always wanted to be a football player. But now I, I felt like I had put everything. Like in my, I did everything in my power to actually go on and have a cracking season. And first game, I did my ACL, meniscus, and lateral ligament in the knee, and that was the beginning of the end, really. 
So it's difficult to say at that age that you would have gone and, and, and made it, but that was that was the beginning of, of the end of February. I remember persuading myself that it was nothing and it was just a little crack and I just had to go home and put some ice and when we went to the to the dock to, to the to the doctor to the, to the meds they were like yeah you're not going to be playing football again anytime soon so that's a bit in in a nutshell my my football career if you can call it if you can call it that <laughs> no it is it is definitely a career you're playing at probably the highest level some of the highest level in, in Europe yes yes and so that's a bit crazy I can only imagine the players you might have played against that we might know now of I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more later but so I have obviously a relative that's going through something similar. I've interviewed a couple of people who might be in similar shoes as you have. And it's crazy some of the stories or some of the takeaways you can have. And we just wanted to share with you at playing at that level. At, and at that age, you learn, I feel like you learn a lot very quickly. So what were the biggest positives and challenges of you being a young professional? You know, What can you share with us which made you grow as a person and which you carried on with you till today? So I was never I, I was never in the professional contract, but it was a professional in, environment, you could call it. I mean, so your your question was regarding the challenges and positives. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. So it's just about the, like the challenges and the positives of you going through that environment, being a young professional player in that environment. Yeah, that is at the end of the day, like you said, you know, you're taking the team bus, you're playing against other teams, you're coming into the season, mm-hmm. you were still there. So again, yeah. challenges, positives. What comes to mind? Let's start with the positives. The, the the positives for me is a lot the human side. You know, like I still have friends that I played football with. You know, and very close friends. I think you, everybody who's played football and been in a team. There's a bond you you make with teammates that you can't make with anybody else <laughs> yeah. around in, in your life. And it's because you're, you know, you you, you take the like I said, you take the bus. You're in the you're in the you're in the dressing room together. You're in the fucking shower together. You sleep together. <laughs> you do everything. You, you do everything together, and it it feels like you know it's there's there's something about it. It's difficult to have with people you're not on the team with. Also, the thing I've thought about it is you share so many emotions, right? For me, football is the only thing that can make you go happy, sad, happy, the happiest you've ever been, the saddest you've ever been in a split second. Um, agreed. So agreed share, for sure. When you share, yeah, when you share these emotions, the people you share these emotions with, obviously you, you, you get a strong bond with. So I would say the human side, it's also, you know, winning is so important for me. Even today that I'm not an, an athlete, winning is, is, is so important. And the, when you win with other people, you, it, it, it's a special feeling, really. Uh, it's a special thing. So yeah, being part of that, of, of a team, uh, coming back to that was for sure one of one of the positives being able to do what you love for sure is is another positive and being able to do it to do it at, at a decent level not just for fun but believing that you can actually do something in, in that space because football is so tough you know like, you know it, it's it's so difficult there's so many you know why you and not somebody else there's so many people that can do the exact same thing that you can with a ball so you know what why would it be you you know there's so many candidates and the challenges is for sure physically it, it can be it can be tiring but also mentally you know like everybody around you is telling you that you know it's one in a million that make it and even though it, it's your dream and you might believe in it everybody around you it might be even your family people that are very close to you trying to persuade you 
and probably because they love you and they want the best for you but still it's it's not it's not nice to hear that it's 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 not going to happen and you should you know have a plan b and and all of that all of the stuff that nobody wants to hear when that's your dream so i think that's a big challenge being able to you know if you have a goal just go for it and really keep keep believing in it i would not say that you know traveling and not not being able to party and no girls and no alcohol was a challenge because for me that was that was never a challenge that was not even something i was thinking about so you know i think at that age the sacrifices are not as big i think if when you become 19 20 21 and all your friends are out there partying and having having fun etc i think that can become a challenge i think a huge challenge but for me it, it wasn't really even though i had to say no to you know birthdays and parties and family reunions because you got to you know be up at five in the morning the day after you need your eight nine hours of sleep so um yeah to answer your questions that's it yeah no it's uh it's obviously a lot of sacrifices at such a young age and there are so many different takeaways you can take from being in that environment at a young age and the challenges and the stories you can probably share with us um in terms I think when you when you love it it's i think when you love it, it's easy it's not a sacrifice yeah. i think it's it's a sacrifice when it's when when you love when you love that it's it's not a sacrifice i mean it's that's it's, that's you, completely you, you fair love it. yeah completely yeah, fair. And, and just just to touch on that actually like like my brother actually is going through somewhat of a similar period of in his career in, okay. in, in football through through the american route in mls and he says the same thing. He talks about how, you know, because of how much he loves it and how badly he wants it, it's easy for him not to do these things. He doesn't feel the need mm-hmm. to go out and do the things you had listed, right? Because, because yeah, of I that love. And I can, tell, I can tell from the smile on your face that you, you know what that feeling yeah, is like. But it's, it's something amazing to hear. And honestly, I, I, I hats off to you for going through, through that environment. I know not a lot of people might have been able to or, you know, it could have been the downfall of different players or or people in that uh, in that journey but uh, i think the just, most uh, you know i think to, it's, it's different yeah, for, for, i think it's different for different types of people right so i played with with guys i think i feel like the guys that are the most talented where it's it's, it's the easiest for them to play they might face mm-hmm. them challenges because they go out to party or not they're still going to be performing on the pitch so that's for them that might be the chat whereas for normal players you know you got to be really you know you, you got to put all, all the odds to uh, on your side yeah, on your side fun. yeah so 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 for me that's it and also you know there's i also played with guys that come from a much tougher background th- than i do and there you might have other challenges that are outside of football where you know yeah. whether you're going to whether whether you're going to start or not in the weekend is not your biggest life problem that might be another that might be another another big challenge which I was fortunate enough not to have. No, yeah, it, it builds. It builds different. Again, people's backgrounds build build their characters in different ways. In terms of you being uh, finishing up in that environment, so you got that injury. What was coming to mind, and what did you think to yourself? Am I going to get healthy and go back to playing football, or this might be the end, and I need to come into a reality check of doing something else? So, how what was your process of thought at that time? So the second part came later, but for sure when I got injured, I mean it was it was tough because you're like, I mean I'm, you know I got my fingertips on what I've always dreamt about. Um, I'm, I can see the, you know some light at the end of the the tunnel, and then it's just 
everything falls down. And uh, you know, in football, the train doesn't stop, right? It, it keeps blasting. So nobody's waiting for you. And if you're not, like I was always saying, if you're not the most talented player, nobody's going to wait for you. Uh, you won't be as missed as probably the best. If you're a generational talent, you, you won't be as missed, right? So for me, that was, yeah, it was a very difficult moment. My folk, my mind was always, I'm going to, you know, do my rehab and come back. And I'm going to use my time to think about things and have, try to make a plan for when I come back. And um, my operation went really bad. So I had some, yeah, complications after that. And even after all the rehab and, and the knee being solid, every time I started again, I, I got other types of injuries. So it, it actually went, you know, almost a year without playing, which is a lot at that age. It's, it's a long period of time. And when I came back, I had this friend. You, it was, a, it was a, a woman, you could call her my age kind of agent who had a couple of trials uh, ready for me at other clubs because the Monaco adventure was, was done at that point. They, they didn't want to keep me. And w as I was preparing for them trials and there was a trial for me in uh, in a couple of clubs in France, also one abroad. As I was you know, getting into shape for these trials, I just kept injuring myself. And I actually, you know, only had the opportunity to go on one of, on one trial. And when I went, when I went there, it didn't, it was fine, but I was not outstanding. And you just realize that, okay, one year of not playing football at that age is, is like, you know, feels like a lifetime. And, um, after that, you know, getting injured and pulling hamstrings and just your body not responding the way you want to, just feeling like an old man, but, and you're still only 17, 18, you're like, okay, maybe it's time to. Maybe it's time to come to a realization. Uh, and I, I had a very tough but very healthy discussion with my father at that time, actually. I was like, listen, the reality of things is it's probably not going to happen. You still need to do something with your life. And I've never been brilliant. Uh, I, I was brilliant at school when I was very young. But then as I grew up, I, I hated every second of it. I really hated every second of it, and I just managed to do the bare minimum, uh, so I and focus on football. Um, but I was the type kind of guy who just, you know, came to school with my my tracksuit and my football things ready to go to training. You know, that was the only thing I had in my mind. And you know, I had this discussion with my father where it was like, okay, maybe it's time to switch the focus and 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 study. You know, that that's you know how it is for parents. That that's the way out. You know, you need to study. That's the old, old school way out and the most common one. And, you know, I put my mind to it. I passed my, my exam and then I decided to go and study in Copenhagen and, and get out of, of this football environment a little bit. And then I had a little break, actually, from football. Did you find that to be a really healthy sort of step to take then, Benjamin? Because obviously, you know, it takes you away from football to do something completely different and Obviously, I'm sure you had your support system. You know, obviously, having a conversation like that with your dad was difficult. I'm sure then being that that support system that yourself and I'm sure everyone needs, right? But just stepping out of that environment, you know, was that helpful for you? Yes, I think healthy is the right word. I think when when you're that young, you know, you, you, it's not something that you want to do. You you, you do it because it it felt rational. And it 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 felt like you know it it was probably a good timing. But it's probably one of the best decisions I ever took to, you know, to move away from home, go to university, and go down, go down that that route, right? Because 
if you can't even keep yourself fit to play football, there's no point in, in really doing it. It's going to be more frustrating than anything. And uh, yeah. so it was a very, a very difficult because, you know, it, it's, you don't want it, right? You're, you're accepting things that you don't really, that's not your dream. You're going away from the dream. But, you know, you got to come to reality. And for me, if you've tried as hard as you could doing something, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So that was my plan B. Yeah, I think that's that's to be applauded, really, isn't it? You gave it your all, and, and and then it just comes a point where you you have to move on, right? But on that mm. point of then moving on and moving to Copenhagen, what did you study at university, Benjamin, and what came after uni? Then with whatever degree you picked up, I decided to go for uh, it was more or less the only uh, degree I could apply to with my grades. Uh, it it was called, but it was good. It was called. <laughs> It was very good, actually. It was called business, language, and culture. And without without degree, you 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 had to choose. You had like I don't know how many hours a week of uh, language culture, and you could choose between Spanish, German, I think Chinese, and French. So like, okay, that's an easy easy choice. The less work, the better for me at that time. So like, so I picked the <laughs> French thing. And um, the plan was to do a, a master's degree. And uh, after the first two years, I was about to stop because, again, school and me was not were not made made for each other. Really, I, I was I was not enjoying it. You know, I only enjoyed it because I met some incredible people. Two of my best friends, one of them today, my business partner. So that's that was really the only reason I was, I kept on doing it, and because I had to do something with my life. But. Yeah, after after the first two years, I I was really struggling, but you know, I put my mind to just you know, when you start something, you finish it, and um, and I yeah. finished it, but I stopped after the bachelor, so I didn't go on to do masters, and after that, I was like, okay, well, I need to I need to work, I need to do something. Uh, I don't have the best degree, I don't have the 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 best CV, so I remember sitting down with two of my friends, they're called Emil and Arthur, and I was saying, guys. What am I good at? You know, I, I asked them the questions like you from the outside. What, what, you know, what, what am I like? What can I speak about? What am I good at? And you know, in a split second, they said football. You, you're good at football. That's that's what you know. You, you know, when we have discussions that are non-football, the only examples I can come up with are football-related. When I, you know, the only when I need when I speak when something comes out of my it's it's always that. So they're like, you know, there's a lot of. You could find you should find a job within football. That's that's what you do. And uh, through a friend, I found something, which was the kickstart of my career in football, not as a player. So behind the behind the scenes, you could say. John, you know I love about that is that you actually went to. I suppose you're in a circle, and you know because I think we all have our own little you know trusted group of people that we really go to for, for advice and we really like to pick their brains, but. You know, you ask them the question of what they thought from an outsider's perspective of what are you actually good at? And, and that, I think that resonates with me so much. And, and I think it's something maybe we could all afford to do sometimes. Because sometimes, you know, you think you're good at something, you may not be, but people may actually point out something to you that you don't necessarily think you're good at. So I think that's actually a really interesting point. But it's, it's my, great that it led you back. Yeah, no, my thing, I've, I tried a lot of small jobs when I was younger. Uh, you know, during, during the summer breaks and so on, I was working as you know, uh, bartender, waiter, uh, on a construction site, on boats, on, you know, a lot of different things, um, coach, 
fucking referee, like everything. And, you know, by trying shit out, you figure out what you like and don't like. And I just figured out that I didn't like anything other than football, <laughs> which is fair enough. And the one thing I knew, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I know what I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to spend my life doing something that I couldn't care less about. That was one thing I was sure about. I wanted to wake up every day and and to you know feel like I was I was doing something where I'm, I'm I'm useful and where I actually like what I'm doing. That was the most important thing for me. Yeah. So then, what what came next? Then, so from that realization, from having that conversation with your friends and realizing that you know football and the value that you can bring to that and, and to yourself, you know what what came after that, Benjamin? I started working for uh, for a Danish company where we were doing. Uh, we were developing the the sector. It was a scouting consultancy business. So that was really the first time I was introduced to scouting, as per se, right? Because if you're not really in the industry, you don't you don't really understand what what, what scouting is. It, it's a you know it's a, it can be a very misused word. So I started doing scouting consultancy, and because I speak French and because I have this French cultural background. And my French is as good as my Danish and English. This company was quite strong in France. So I was that guy in France. So I was traveling back and forth, Copenhagen, Paris. And what, what I was doing is basically, so we had some foreign football clubs that were interested in the French football market. And having played with a lot of players that came from then amateur clubs and like suburbs of Paris and Marseille and Lyon, I, I could like I could wrap my head around uh, the French football uh, system because I played in it, of course. And the goal was, you know, to offer players not as an agency, really as a consultant to these clubs, right? So I give you a concrete example: clubs like you know, Huddersfield, for instance, in the UK, or or, or Ghent in Belgium. They would go, right? We're looking for a player who's uh, 15 years old, who's left-footed, who's a left back, and he needs to be this tall, that fast. This, that, and the other. And my job was by my network, live scouting, you know, meeting a lot of people, just coming up with short lists and uh, and trying to get opportunities for these players and satisfy the, the, the professional club with, with my services. And that's really how I got into the scouting industry. How, how much of a trend, like obviously it's a massive transition going from being a player to, to a scout, but did you think, you know, having that background yourself and playing at a at a quite high level then allowed you to, I guess, not only sympathize and empathize, but to understand what what to look for in, in, in that and in what people were asking for or what the rights holders were asking for? It did, but I don't think it's as critical as people might might believe. I know a lot of scouts who are brilliant at their job and they never played, I mean, they played football, but never, never at an exceptional level. So I don't think it's, as you grow, as you get older, that's it. You know, that's my experience. You understand the game. When I look back at it, when I was 15, you play on pure instinct. I don't, I don't feel like you really understand the game, you know. You, and, you know, back then, video was not a big, you know, we didn't have our games filmed or nothing. So, like, analyzing and understanding the game and the way you watch football at that age, I didn't understand anything. You know, it was just listening to the coach and just go out there and play, really. Whereas I feel like uh, for me, as you grow, you you have a different view on, on things that can trigger your mind to understand, okay, what is needed? You know, what are clubs looking for and what qualities are important at 
at that age because you know scouting a youth player is different to a first team player and I, I really i fell in love with it actually i fell in love with what are the what are the special things you're looking for in different positions for players and is it important that he can do this and if he can't do that what makes you think that he will be able to do it in a couple of years so of course having a background in football and having played helps i think you can you can relate to cert- to certain things but i actually don't think it's that critical i actually don't i actually don't and in terms of on a on a technical level you know like you're you're looking at these players you're scouting them and you understand the game on different levels given your first of all your love for the sport your understanding of it through your career but did you need to have certain certificates or licenses which allowed you to get into these positions you know, maybe like a coaching license or is there some sort of scouting license? I personally, I'm ignorant to the idea of it. So mm. let's say someone else is listening. How does someone get into a position like yours to be able to scout? It exists. You, you can get licenses and like diplomas, degrees, but I, I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed, you could call it, if that's a word, uh, scout. <laughs> it just came from one day to the yeah. other. And, because I, and, you know, it's not a requirement. I think also when when clubs hire people as scouts, like you don't need. It's not like when you're a coach where you need your badges and, and your licenses and your diplomas. It's not scout is not is not required. You have schools that that give you certain types of of um, yeah teaching on on the job and what to look out for, etc. But it, I I don't have personally. I don't have anything. It's just pure understanding and and yeah, learning by doing. Which I believe, no, that's, by the way, that's I, believe that's, that, that's, I believe that's the best way. Learning by doing is the best way to learn anything in life. I had a, I had a very good mentor. I had a very good mentor. Shout out to him. He's called Oliver Deinhard. Uh, and he was working with me today. He works for Ajax Amsterdam. And he's one of the top scouts. So uh, I had a very good mentor. And, you know, he didn't play top-level football. And still, he has, for me, one of the best eyes. And I learned a lot from him. Um, I learned a lot from him so you know if you have if you understand the game and for me it's also about having an opinion you know I like people with an opinion and everybody likes people with an opinion and if you have an, an opinion and you believe in it then I think you other people can believe you no that's, that's that's pretty cool to hear because I feel like me getting into football as well I would have loved to get into that side and I'm you know like I'm never going to close the door on that you never know maybe I might get into scouting myself but now, now you you were doing you were getting into the whole scouting environment. What type of like challenges or personalities would you interact with or clash with? Is there anything that you found pretty I'm going to say hard or shocking or surprising as you're coming into the professional side of things? It's a funny industry, football, because as a when you're a fan, you, you don't you don't really understand what's going on in in, in the clubs and why certain clubs might recruit certain players um, and then you understand the whole agents clubs relationships which explain a lot of what we see in football today so for me it was you know you hear a lot of stories when you're out there and you you meet with clubs scouts agents you hear so many stories that you're like ah oh, this is why that happened though you know do you ever wonder how kevin prince Boateng ended up in barcelona for 6 months it's, you know, it's because you know the agent and the club. There's stuff going on behind the behind the scenes that, as a as a fan, if you're not an insider, you you don't understand. You don't understand. So 
what I realized is it's, it's it was a, it's a very it's a, youth football scouting for me was a, still is a very outdated industry if you compare it if you put it in perspective to how much money and how much following there is around the sport it's it's a very outdated industry and my mind was always i was always looking at issues and the way it, you know thinking about how to how to solve them not taking things for for granted but yeah you do hear a lot of stories and it's not as as smooth and as as uh, transparent as a world as we we'd love to think but i guess a lot of other industries are like that as well I feel like you no, just steered the conversation perfectly into into perhaps how you guys started Eyeball. Yes. Can you take us through that then? Because uh, that was just such a good transition. Yeah, the transition is perfect, actually. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in an environment where, where I, I never missed anything. My parents were brilliant with me. I would, you know, always had food. I was at everything I wanted and, and needed. But we were not filthy rich even though you know say people here in monaco they tend to think oh he's a you know his parents are rich and that was not the case at all and you know you, you walk around if you've ever been to monaco you, you walk around the, the harbor and the beach and you see all these cars and you see all these yachts you know you, you see the formula one you see it's just it, it's you know it smells like money everywhere we were not quite there like my my, my family and that, for me, developed a hunger for, Jesus, I want that car as well. And you, you, you know, you're walking by the harbor and you see that guy on his yacht, like, I want that as well, you know. I, I, I want me a yacht too. And, you know, and you see, you see, you know, fucking helicopters and see, you're like, okay, that's, that looks nice. I, I want a piece of that as well. But I, right now, I can't, I can't have it. And my friends, you know, my football friends didn't have it uh, as well, but I, I just felt... I just and you know I just felt like I had a different perspective when I was seeing these things. Like I want to get there, but at that time I didn't realize how. And as I grew older, and I must say, as I met today my best friend and business partner Emil, it just developed this hunger, and was just bubbling inside me. And you know I just wanted to develop this entrepreneurial spirit, where just having ideas all the time. Not executing them, but just all the time when you see a problem, having the idea how to how to solve it. Oh, you could do this. Oh, this guy, he should do that, right? Why, don't, why doesn't he do this? And in 2018, I watched a documentary on Netflix, and I, I recommend everybody to go and watch it. It's called Defiant Ones with uh, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And that changed my life forever. That changed my life forever. I was like, fuck these guys. They're just doing it. It's a different industry than me. Like they are just taking action and doing it and they don't care about any fucking rules. They are just doing it. And when I was working in football and seeing all these scouts traveling back and forth, all these agents pitching players and clubs taking them without seeing them and clubs spending, you know, thousands and thousands of euros and players they were unsure about, but it was just panic mode. So you just do it. Shady deals happening. You know, clubs, story of, 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 you know, clubs traveling to go and watch one player, like traveling from the UK to France to watch one player and he ends up not playing because he's injured. And, you know, you just wasted a whole weekend and, and X amount of money. All these experiences were like, 
this is what we should do, right? Because in football, the professional game is data-driven, video-driven. Everything is about efficiency. There's a time sensitivity to scouting that is very, very unique to the industry. It's about when you see somebody, when you see an opportunity, when there's some something that gets offered to you, whatever, you need to be quick. You need to be able to react faster than everybody else. What helps you to do that in the professional game? Video. Video. You don't need to wait till the guy is playing to travel. You can sit down, you can watch four, five, six games, and you can have a fast decision-making. That's efficient. Video, data, information. If you take that and you look, you know, the youth football, there's nothing. It's like a jungle out there. Why? Because the games are not filmed. And if they are, it's very rare. And if, you know, and if they are, it's, it's, you know, for clubs internally and it's bad quality. And the only way you can watch youth football is you have to go out there and you have to stand on the sideline of pitches like clubs were doing 40 years ago, 30 years ago, with your notebook and your pen, and you got to make the best out of it. That's not efficient, is it? You know, watching, no. you know, one scout can watch two, three games a week. I just, I just thought that's just not efficient. And there was a lot, a lot of different experiences that, that, you know, happened to me where I was like, that's, that's not good. You know, clubs traveling and going around pitches with an agent and watching 20 minutes of this game and 20 minutes of that game and making a list on that notepad of, I like a number in the yellow team, I like number three and five, and then giving that list to an agent. And then that agent has to go to the clubs to find the, to find the dates of birth and everything. I was like, there's no way that we can't optimize this process. The process is ridiculously outdated. And I just thought, you know, the reason why most football clubs are not, youth football clubs, clubs that are known for developing talent, are not filming their games is because they don't have the money to buy a proper camera system. It's as simple as that. It's not because they don't like video and they don't want to professionalize their, their, their methods. It's because the video does not exist. So you can't work with it. So you need to create it. And to create it, it costs money to buy the camera. So we came up with a with a, a concept where we would partner up with the best youth clubs and give them access to that video so that they didn't have to bother about it. And we would ask them, you know, to film their games, to register their players on a database with key information that I knew from my experience, scouts needed. And it's as simple as a date of birth, you know, the real name, no spelling, no spelling mistakes, what's the passport nationality, height, weight, you know, basic information. And, you know, put all of that, games, team sheets, and player profiles on a platform that professional clubs can subscribe to. And when you think about it, everybody in the ecosystem wins. Youth clubs win, they get the video, and they get the exposure. So their players can be exposed to professional teams. The professional teams win because they can now, you know, scout similarly to what they on youth to what they do at first team and be more efficient in their decision making, widen the scouting horizons, and there's a thousand of other arguments. And I win because I sell that and I'm optimizing uh, youth recruitment. So and my company makes makes money out of subscriptions. And that's that was the that was the idea. And um, it sounds easy, but putting it, you know, this <laughs> from an idea to, to you know, to uh, making it happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, there is something called execution, which is where most people fail, I guess, or don't, or stop. And that was that was the big thing. But that, that that's really how the idea came about. It was realizing the problem by being hands-on in the industry and having the mindset of not taking, not accepting things as they are. And actually, I want to change things. Nobody's doing it. Why is nobody doing it? Okay, nobody's doing it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think that, you know what the minute you start talking then about you know your entrepreneurial spirit, I think something that I took away from a lot of that was you're just a problem solver, and I, you know that's that's mm. essentially <laughs> what you're trying to do in this case, right? And and I think the way I would have phrased it right before you just said it now so eloquently was you know you're just breaking the status quo. You know why why do you have to be stuck to these old rigid ways when when we now have technology that can really help solve that, right? And and I think that's something great that you guys are doing out there. I would ask Benjamin like how is How's the takeoff been since you guys started? Because you've you're, you're been in business now for a few years, haven't you? And or how many years have you been in existence now? Just about two years. So it's still very fresh. Yeah. Still and how, very how's fresh. that um, you guys? Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable, to be honest. From from the first second, it's people have just welcomed the idea, the idea. And you know, we we started really. I was so convinced that this was going to work. I, we didn't even do a market study. We didn't go out and ask, if we did this, would you buy it? We just went for it because I was convinced. It's like I'd done it before without doing it, but I'd been out there and I'd seen it. Like, there's no way it's not going to work. No, just thinking positively, it's going to work. It's, it's, you know, it's just how big can it become? But of course, it's going to be interesting for a lot of clubs. So we actually started without speaking to any youth club, any professional club, and we just went for it and it, it um we started really um so i i quit my old job and then a lot of time passed by and i was like what am i gonna you know because i just wanted to do a bit something else and i wanted to do my own thing uh what, what, what am i gonna do and what can i do and and i was like ah, you know what this industry I, I i feel like i can change it and a lot of time went by and we just we just we just went for it um we just went for it and from the second we decided to go for it in late 2020 um we found we found an investor really early um and that really helped us like a private private investor and that really helped us kick the kick on things and the feedback we've we've got from every single stakeholder in full football whether it's a youth club professional club um you know uh uh, under 13s coach in the suburbs of Paris or uh, owner of a Champions League uh, club or president of, of Champions League clubs. Um, everybody's just been, you guys, you, you, you're on, really onto something here and you're, you're literally changing the industry. Yeah, and that's great. That which is good to hear. Yeah, I think having that positive sentiment come in and you know, from the market, but then also, you know, when you're finding investment easily, I think that says something. It says that you're on the right track and you, know, you actually have a very much a viable product that's willing, you know, that's going to take you guys far. I'm curious though, just just on that note of, of investment and, and managing investors, I think it's one thing maybe perhaps in another industry, but just how difficult was it within, I suppose, the sports tech space and, and within the world of football to actually find an investor that was willing to invest in the business, Benjamin? I don't want to sound arrogant, but it's the easiest thing I've ever ever tried to do in my life <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the reason for that is when it's when it's something you believe in so much when you don't you don't 
count the phone calls. You don't count the hours. You don't, it doesn't feel like, like work getting there, you know, and he, that person was, was not, I'll respect his privacy because that's his wish, but he doesn't, you know, he, he was not the first guy we spoke to, but you know, it was not very, he was not like number hundred either. But I, I remember, uh, Emil, so my, my partner and myself just, from the second we realized, okay, to put this into existence, we're going to need money because we need to buy stuff up front and to create a platform and there's lots of investments up front. We're going to need money up front to make this happen. And for, I think from the second we, we put this in our mind, we stopped everything. And the only thing we were doing from eight in the morning till 10 in the evening was calling people from our network, from just anything we can find on the internet and pitching the idea so i, I can see us in in that little apartment where, where i was i was living in the kitchen just flying around phone calls and i think not even a week went by and we found that person and you know when when we had him and when he when that the person who introduced us um put us in contact with him and scheduled the call like the presentation the zoom call we're like, okay this is our shot, you know, one shot, one shot on target, one goal. That was our, that was our philosophy. One shot, it's on target, we score, it's a goal. And we prepared, I remember, so it, we, we had like a 24-hour notice. We prepared for that call like it was a World Cup final. It was, you say this, you say that, I say this, you say that. And when I, you know, finish that sentence, you kick on with this. And we prepared and it was clockwork and we know we, we knew we had, and I think it was like 40 minutes to present a whole new concept for somebody who is not a football guy. So you need to start from zero, right? From scratch. And I remember that call, like it was yesterday, it was, we, we pitched it to him and after 40 minutes, he didn't say a word. He was like, very good. We speak again tomorrow. And there we knew. And and second day, it was the the first thing we started with was all right, you know, terms. What you know, how are we going to do this? So it was, um, yeah, it was uh, it was not difficult. But when when you prepare yourself, you just just go for it. Just go for it. Easy. I think that part of silence where he just said, "Okay, we'll speak tomorrow." I think that would have worried most yeah. people. But you seem to have been so assured in, in that you'd get a call back and, and get that funding benjamin it's quite incredible to hear we killed him there was no way there was no way he was not going to do it and, and we always we always said you know our our concept is so good and if we get anybody in a room with us who has money he's dead he's yeah. dead because we believe in ourselves in the way we present things we're so confident about it. We, we, you know, if you, when you believe, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but when you believe in something that much, the way you speak and the intonation you put into things, just people can feel it. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not just listening. You, you, they're, they're feeling what you say. And even if it's, it was an industry that he didn't know about, we presented it so well that, yeah, we killed him. I think I shouldn't take away the fact that this is honestly a really cool idea. And what you've been working on is, is amazing. And seeing the stepping stones and the building blocks you've, you've had to, to take it to where it is now. But can you just give us the context of like what Eyeball looks like now? Where are you guys at now as a company, even though it's only been two years? 
where you guys think you stand and what's your ambition with Eyeball? Where are you trying to go? Where are you trying to target? Like, what's the big picture for Eyeball? Today, we are the, still, we are the only and arguably the biggest youth video scouting platform, right? That focuses on elite elite youth football. We focus on elite youth football in key football markets. So we know from experience and from from the industry which markets to go into. And we have we're very proud to say we have a lot of professional football clubs that are our clients. And we're very, very proud of that. Still remember the first one. That was a that was a big moment. Uh you know when when you prove your concept, right? Somebody wants to buy what you've been working on for so many, so many hours. Our goals are to become the, the biggest video scouting platform in the world, still focused on youth football because we believe that you know, football is getting younger and younger, right? You know, you're, you're seeing it yourselves. I mean, when I don't believe we have that big of an age difference when, when we were younger, you know, if you were going to make your debut at 16, 17, poof, you had to be, you had to be very special as now it's becoming more common, you would say. So football is just getting younger, more athletic, more, right? So we believe that a youth scouting platform is, 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 is our way forward. And our goal is to cover every, every market in the world. So we're very strong now in, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, there's still a way to go. Uh, we're very strong in West Africa as well. And we've got, you know, goals of being present in, in South America as well. And in every, also, um, developing country where that are trying, you know, Middle East and, and that are trying to develop football. Uh, we want to. We know we can play a big part, a big part in that. So we're, we're really trying to to democratize video and access to information across the ecosystem for everybody. Hopefully, you do as well, Benjamin, because it, it is honestly a great idea, and you know your ambitions clearly, you know, are are for all to see and I think you'll go very far I, I am just curious to know as well talking maybe to your entrepreneurial spirit a little bit but um, I guess as, as, a, as an entrepreneur but what are do you have any advice for any other aspiring entrepreneurs that, especially within football and within the SaaS realm as well you know is there any words of advice or pieces of information that you'd offer them from your own journey because I know I've come across quite a few people that have lots of ideas and even want to move into that space and I think just hearing from somewhere that's you know that's doing it at the moment is critical and it's helpful just do it i mean if you believe if you believe there's a if you believe there's a need for it and you've experienced it or you've seen somebody who who's been in that position and you know or you can see that it can be quite like can benefit different people a lot of people execution is is the most difficult thing right so it's it, it's not as easy as it sounds but just you know i was always my mindset was always what's the worst thing that can happen what's the worst thing that can happen True. fails yeah. and, and then what well then you go back out and you try and find a job and you give it another shot when you get another idea like it's not as my partner and i we, we don't we don't take ourselves seriously and we don't take life that seriously right it was like let's go for it let's let's it's an adventure let's try it and if it fucks up it fucks up and i think when you have that mentality you don't push, put too much pressure on your shoulders just go for it and and you know if it fails it fails but the feeling of regret is 
I think, a much worse feeling than the feeling of not, not trying. And that's always what, what I was, my mindset behind, behind everything. And, you know, the one quality you need to have when you're going to go for it is the ability to decide, make decisions. Don't look back. Decide. You make, because when you make a decision, you move a step forward. And when you take that step forward, then you have another decision to make. And maybe that decision is going to be to, you know, readjust the decision you made before. Right. But I see too many people out there that are not deciding and it takes weeks or months to decide and you overthink it and you rediscuss it and you and for me it's just excuses and fear of not of of the fear of deciding, right? Of taking a decision. Okay, we go. Right. And that's that's where we've been, I think, very good and still are very good. You know, we you get an idea, talk about it, go, 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 go. And if you know, and then you realize maybe some point, okay, it was not that good of an idea. You can readjust, you can readjust. But the ability to make decisions is, is for me, the, it's a very important quality to, to have. And you can train it, right? Like in the beginning, it could be scary. Like, oh, well, we're going to do this and I'm going to quit my job and you're going to, we're going to do this and what if, what if, but you know, just go for it. What's the worst thing that can happen if, we always thought that if it doesn't work out, then we would have learned something, right? You, you learn something. And I feel them two years of entrepreneurship are worth any college education. And that's the best education you can give yourself because you're actually hands-on in it. And you're, it's your real life. It's not a mock exam or it's not a, you know, when you do in, at university, you do these experiences of pretending you're founding it and you're actually doing it and you're speaking with people and uh for me i think the the earliest if you have that in in you somewhere in here and some people don't have it i think it's it's completely fair and i totally understand it um but if you have it in you you just as as quickly as possible in your life just dive into it whether it's starting a lemon juice shop outside your house when you're eight years old <laughs> or trying to build a billion dollar business when you're 18 and you know that that for me is is is, is a good thing about just try as early as possible no people people do need to have a bit more of that mentality and i think first and i can relate to it i think first a bit more and some of the people around our masters have had the same mentality of giving so a lot of them are a lot older they might have had careers and professional careers in other industries right so what would be interesting is that they took that leap into coming into football. A lot of them quit their jobs. A lot of it just went and just did it, mm -hmm. you know? And I think me and Faris coming maybe from our part of the world and we might have a certain trajectory given to us by our culture. We are, yep. I'd like to say, going in a different direction to what the, the, our part of the world or at least the people I surround myself with might not necessarily be going into. So I, I completely get what you're saying. Um, but it takes courage, right? It takes a lot of courage. Does. I mean, you it know, does. and it takes, you're going to be, you know, I guess people around you are like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, you were in a good position. You're comfortable. Exactly. Uh, uh, comfortable, yeah. you know? You, know, yeah. you, you, you need to step out of that comfort. You got to get out of that yeah. comfort. You can't be staying no, in that bubble this, the whole time. I completely, completely on the same page. And, uh, and I think I maybe, know, maybe you felt you it when you're, maybe you felt it, but when, when your gut is telling you that, you, you shouldn't ignore it. Just don't agree. Don't, don't, don't yeah. Completely, completely agreed. Just to come back to eyeball of that school, obviously it's something 
you can you've clearly been working on a lot and you're starting to understand the whole industry in terms of the whole tech space of of scouting coming into the industry and it's entrepreneurs like you who are bringing it into the industry what does the future look like for that area not necessarily only eyeball but maybe people doing different things at a scouting level i think it looks brilliant clubs are looking if, if football clubs can improve them most football clubs if they can improve their methods and eventually leading to performance of a single percent they're willing to spend a lot of money to do that you know so and people understand that and um, a lot of people are i can see are very open-minded to shaking the industry up a little bit and challenging it and a lot of people dare to build new products uh whether that's in in you know companies building cameras companies building you know, tracking devices of all sorts companies doing artificial intelligence computer vision and a lot of a lot of these companies and there's you could see by the amount of money that's pumped into the industry and, and the number of startups that are backed by really big funds and you know you see companies like Theo, who are you know, it's a Danish camera company, that, that you know it's, the amount of money that's been invested in them is, is remarkable, remarkable, and it shows it shows that there is a future in it, and that people are doing incredible things. And in the industry, I think we all we all complete each other, and um, I think it looks I think it looks bright. I I'm still a, a believer of. I hope football doesn't lose its uh, its original DNA. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the lads who are on the pitch, you know, they have two arms, two legs, one head, <laughs> and it, it's still going to be the same, the same sports as always. So I, I kind of hope, you know, everything around the pitch, I'm really for all the, all the improvements possible, but I, I kind of hope that on the pitch, we kind of stay with, with, with the game and we don't start putting weird things in the ball and, Ear, ear plugs in in captains, uh, you know what's it called um, headphones in, in in players' ears and, and stuff like that. But the rest around the pitch, I think it's it's amazing. Yeah, I, I personally hope they don't start doing some of that. Even though there's some great stuff that's been suggested, but uh, I think Amber and I were actually on a tour of FIFA not so long ago. It was during the summer. Actually, we were lucky enough to actually hear from someone that works in the technology department. Some of what they're doing is just incredible. Like you said, I think it, it has to be, and they're adamant on this as well, that it has to be fit for purpose and that just has to make sense. I think there has to be a business, well, not a business case, but a use case for it. Um, yeah, I think that's the key, com- key, key part into it. One question I've got for you, Benjamin, maybe just as we look to wrap things up is, obviously as a business, right, you guys really have to, to get close to, to some of the key rights holders. I think one of the one of the questions that I have for you is, you know, how have you gone about trying to build that network within football, especially like I said, for eyeball, right? Because, you know, again, that's your main touch point. And and how have you how easy has it been or difficult has it been to open those doors? It's not easy. It's not easy, especially if you're not a former player who knows everybody in the industry or you're not, you know. So it it, it hasn't been easy. So for me, it's been the first contacts I made in the industry instinctively i knew that at some point in time later in my life i would need them for something i didn't know when i didn't know i didn't know why i didn't know 
what for. I didn't know how, but you know, I remember me- meeting a sports director for a club in the UK very early in my scouting journey for, for the previous job I had. And I just, the first thing I did is, boom, take his contact, you know, be nice with him. If he's in town, try and go out for food. Just don't be shy. Just, just be in his ear all the time because at some point in time, you might need that person. And when, you, when you're very young and early and you, you, have, uh, you have that courage, every single person you meet, whether it's, I mean, in our industry, whether it's an agent, a coach, everybody can help you and can give you experiences or stories that can make your brain work. So that's how it happened for me. And then in terms of opening doors and clubs for, for Eyeball, it's been a mix of word of mouth, but also a mix of, you know, no partnering up with the right door openers who believe in, in your product. And when you get people on the phone, you know, just don't let them go. Don't let them go. So it's also how, how do you speak your intonation when you have a first encounter on the phone? How, how do you sound like? Do you sound like a phone salesperson or do you sound like? A billionaire like do you do you sound like somebody who just is confident and has something to offer and that for me was 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 very important and then it, it builds up slowly it builds up and everybody has a contact so if you know if you know four coaches of youth clubs he might know two scouts and that scout if you speak with him he might introduce you to a sport director he might know three agents who know 10 clubs each and he might know, so you know, it, it adds up, but it's building a network is a lot of work and a network has to be entertained and kept up to date. So for me, it's, you know, I've got a rule of always picking up the phone, whether it's a number I know, don't know, whether it's, you know, six in the morning or midnight, I always pick up the phone. And that's, that's, you know, these small rules just don't say no to an event or dinner because you'd never know who you might meet. I mean, I remember meeting an ex-player called Martin Dahlin, Swedish international, who has, I met him randomly on a night out. I didn't want to go out. I still went and I met him and he's been helping us get into clubs ever since, you know, that kind of thing. You never know who you can meet and you never know who you meet, what it can take you to. So it's, um, and once you got you get a hold of, of, of somebody eventually what you offer them and you know has to be of quality it's like if you're a football agent you might be the nicest guy ever if the players you have are bad and not performing then you might have all the contacts in the world nobody's going to answer the phone because what you provide is not of quality so if what you provide is quality and you are a nice person to speak to then i believe it's you know you can do it. Yeah, I think one. I think one key thing, and I think it would come across to most people, is you know, building out a network and, and actually maintaining one. It takes work, doesn't it? Really, and and, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be taken lightly. And it isn't. And it is important. I think you know one thing that you said, and and one of our previous guests actually touched on the exact same point about how, and he actually quoted Bill Gates, similar to how you have, in in I think it was his book that's um, probably going to say this horribly wrong, but is it? I think his book was titled Avoiding a Climate Disaster, but he just said to the power of, you know, if you want to network and you want to meet some people and you really want to be educated 
and informed, then invite four or five people that you think are subject matter experts and go out to dinner. It doesn't have to be anything too crazy. Just go out to dinner and you, you, the conversation will naturally flow in such a beautiful manner that by the end of it, you'll, you'll have learned a great deal. And the last thing I think, Benjamin, I, I really picked up from what you said is, you know, phone calls. I think we live in a world today where we're all messaging. And sometimes, you know, just doing something a little bit different by being bold enough to pick up the phone and speak on the phone. Even if you don't know someone, it's a cold call, right? Too many of us, I think, shy away from that nowadays where I think it adds, it makes you stand out from the crowd. I think that's for sure. You need to have a good attitude towards grabbing the phone. That's really important nowadays. And, you know, if, if people are answering the phone, just, you know, find them and go go and speak to them. Because if you believe that what you can offer them is actually will be of interest to them, then if you can't get a hold of them, find them. Yeah. I think this could be a separate sales one-on-one course with Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've still got Benjamin a lot to I'm sure we we all do, Benjamin. No matter how experienced we are in this world or how old we are, um, I think just before we do sign off, uh, I will admit, Amon and I had actually been curious to know some of your particular stories from your time and days at Monaco. Amor does more justice than I would. Amor, I had mentioned that you had obviously met a lot of different players at so many different qualities, but who were some, or was there a person which might have stood out to you at some point in time? Yeah, I played with a lot of very, very good players. And players, if I tell you the names, you wouldn't even know they exist. But at youth level, they were incredible. We had this striker called Rudy. He was just the best goal, best finisher I've ever seen and very technical players. But I mean, a name that that, that stands out is, is, of course, Kylian Mbappe in his spell at Monaco. I remember the first time I, I encountered him was in a in a friendly match. And I can't recall if it was a, if it was, you know, when he, because he had a pre-signed contract with Monaco. So if he, if he had just come from his uh, former club, Bondi, or if he had, he was on, on a kind of a trial or, or whatever it was. But I remember being pushed, so playing against him. And I remember being pushed at right back for this game. So I'm originally a, a number six, a holding midfielder. I was being pushed at right back. I, I didn't know who he was, but I heard about a good player coming. And that was probably the, <laughs> It was one of, of the first time I played right back and that was probably the <laughs> worst experiences I've ever had on a football pitch. <laughs> the, 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 the pace, the, the technique, and you know, and it was like a, a mini Cristiano Ronaldo r- running at you and just pure pace goals and you were just like, okay, wow. And then eight, eight months later, he was, in the, he was in the first team. So... Um, that's that, 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 that's that's what you call generational talent, and all the all the lads who played in that game with me will, will remember um, <laughs> my head twisting and turning. <laughs> How old were you at the time, Benjamin? Fifteen. Oh wow! Yeah. Fifteen. So that's How quickly he broke. He was fifteen as well. Ninety-eight, both of us. Um, yeah. When we had these CR7 boots, you know, total fanboy. It was just, and and just like that, he's up with the under-19s first team. And, you know, eight months later, you you go to watch the first team game and he's comes off the bench and scores, you know, you're like, okay, fuck. <laughs> this, this, this could be, this could be serious. <laughs> but I would say, Benjamin, honestly, it's been, it's been insightful. It's been inspiring hearing your journey from an academy player where, you know, you, you've gone from, I guess, from the highs to the lows and you've experienced it all to now an entrepreneur. And 
trying to ride that wave and, and I'm sure onto great things as well. I'd just like to take the opportunity to say thank you for coming on and honestly it's been it's been it's been great. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Brilliant conversation. I wish I wish all, all the best to um, focus football. Really brilliant. brilliant.